A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tools Tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey friends, have you noticed that no matter how much yoga we do, we may still struggle in our intimate relationships? My husband and I have a great relationship, but we are not relationship coaches. And we know that yoga can and does help, but at a certain point, you need more relational support from a relationship specialist. If you're going through some kind of challenge right now in your relationships, my friend Jason Gaddis at the Relationship School can help. Jason's team will pair you up with a skilled relationship coach, and within 48 hours, you'll be getting private one-on-one support on whatever you're going through relationally. And right now, for my listeners only, Jason is offering half off one month of relationship coaching. Head over to relationshipschool.com slash Laura to get the deal and watch your relationships improve. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Friday with Friends. Today I have a new friend, Katie B. She's known as Katie B. Happy. So I was so happy to meet Katie, who is from New Jersey, but living out in San Diego. Katie and I talk about her journey from being in New Jersey and having a very early tragic loss to living in California and her path into being a yoga teacher and now an author. We speak about her book, COVID, COVID fatigue, and so much more. I hope you really enjoy my conversation with this beautiful soul. Welcome, Katie B., otherwise known as Katie B. Happy. So happy to have you on the show today. Thanks. I'm so honored to be here. I'm very, very excited. Well, first of all, uh, you look very happy, but I would love to know how you got this moniker, Katie, be happy. Yeah, I'm a crass Jersey girl that moved out to San Diego. No way. I didn't know that. (laughs) (laughs) And I moved out to San Diego about 15 years ago. And my my Jersey, you know, is a little harsh sometimes for the Southern California people. And so it was started out as a joke. And it kind of just stuck around because I'm a little bit more sarcastic than than people out here, let's say. <laughs> mm-hmm. So what brought you out to sunny San Diego from New Jersey, where I now live? Yeah, I love Jersey. Um, my family's all still there. I have a really big Italian family. Um, I wanted to get as far away from my roots as possible. And there was a few options when I was looking at colleges. The the reach schools I didn't get into. So I decided that. Why not just go to California? And San Diego State was awesome. That's the main reason. But 
the real rooted reason I left was because my mom passed away of breast cancer when I was 15. And so I feel like I just needed a little bit of a fresh start and a real different understanding on what life meant. Um, it's always, I'm sure, you know, all of us have loss in different ways in our life. And I think at that very transformational time in a girl's life, I just needed to figure out who I was without some of the preconceived definitions that I had around myself from, from where I was. Mm, I'm really sorry. I met, that must've been challenging having lost a parent myself. I know the pain well, and everybody's experience is different, but that's also a really pivotal time to have that. Do you think that um, had something to do with, I mean, it, of course it does. Everything, every major uh, life event tends to lead us in a direction, but do you think it had something to do with going into this holistic space? Yeah. Um, my mom was pretty strong headed and what we thought was healthy. Like she, she did everything you're supposed to, and she still died of breast cancer at 43. And I think, you know, you can't pinpoint direct reasons. They don't, it's, we don't have the gene necessarily. And I think just looking at that and seeing two parts, one, let's try to be as healthy as we can because we don't know how much time we have left. And two, I was really lucky to actually be there with her in her last breaths. And I hope that everyone gets that experience in life, maybe not as young, uh, but, but to really be with someone when they take their last breath, because it completely redefined how I felt about breath and a lot of why I am a yoga teacher. And, and it changed the trajectory on how I think of our inhales and exhales. She was in her last moments as, you know, the morphine's kicking in and her organs are failing and she took that inhale and then it was just an exhale and that was it. And it, it's, it's so weird because there's your mom and then there she's not. And then you could, so it was very easy for my teenage self to look at her and say, she's not in there anymore. And I don't know what happens after or what I even back then thought happened after, but I knew that watching that exhale, that it couldn't just be about this flesh suit that we're in. Like it had to be something more. And so that's part of the reason I moved to San Diego was because I wanted to get, I wanted to rediscover what life was outside the parameters of what I already knew, because, you know, there's this prophecy. I think Jack Canfield talks about it's the untie the elephant prophecy where they're saying big elephants that are held in captivity when they're babies, they tie this little rope around their ankle and it's the rope is tied to a stick in the center of the ground. And as the elephant gets to be bigger, two, three tons heavy, it doesn't realize that its power is much greater than this rope and stick that I've held it since it was a baby, but it only knows the circumference at which it's been walking its whole life. And I kind of felt like it was a little bit of that. I was, I didn't know what was outside of my, my rope. And so San Diego, that was the first step to me, just trying to get out of the circumference of what I knew. Hmm. So once you're out there, how did your journey to becoming a yoga teacher to now becoming an author, how did that all begin? Honestly, I went into yoga specifically for fitness reasons to start. Um, I think a lot of people in Western culture do it's, mm -hmm. it's very good movement modality, no matter what I went in thinking it was going to help keep me toned and fit. And I realized that there was something happening in it that made me feel better. And I didn't know exactly what it was a little bit different than running, although running still helped me feel good. You know, movement of any sort makes us feel good because of obviously the natural things that happen, the chemicals, the dopamine, the, you talk a lot in your podcasts about, about what happens kinesthetically in the body, but 
something special for me personally happened when I would hold a longer stretch, when I would take the time to really breathe and send my awareness into the stretch. It was this shift where I was like, this makes sense. I don't think I'd ever done a movement modality that made sense to me as much as this did. And I, I don't, I'm not saying it's even for everyone. I'm just saying that for me, something landed. And so I think, um, maybe a year after I graduated college, I had an international business degree and I lived in China and Peru. I studied abroad trying to figure out how I was going to save the world, you know, all the nonprofit stuff and the bleeding hearts things. And I realized that if I did, I started a yoga teacher training and didn't take it too seriously, but how I felt when I gave someone 30 minutes, 60 minutes of a yoga class, that impact was almost as great, if not more for me than if the fundraising I was doing for the nonprofits I was working for. Um, Not that they're not great, but in that time and space, I just said to myself, why not try? Why not try to just keep doing this and see what comes from it? Because it makes me happy. I think it makes my clients happy and the world a little bit better place. And so even though I wasn't spending all my access and resource to raising money for United Way or Make-A-Wish Foundation like I was previous, I instead started to feel like I could just make one little droplet of impact, like one hour, that person's going to feel better. Their family's going to feel better because of it. The people they interact are going to feel better. And I felt like that was my little way where I could start to make more of a difference and make my breaths worth it, whatever I was getting. Mm, That's beautiful. So did you become a full-time yoga teacher right away after like you'd made that decision? Like this is this is as valuable, if not more than the nonprofit work? Yeah, I, I kind of jumped in. I did two years of nonprofit, like a seven to four thing. And I did the math and it would be the same amount of money if I taught 25 classes a week. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I had the energy. I said, let's just try. And then I think I know when you start to follow things that, that really light you up, doors open that you would have never thought possible before. And so People gave me opportunities and then I started to lead retreats and kind of got to use my my degree from international business and and really siphon them together. And then I loved facilitating things. I loved watching people unfold in just the simplicity of something like an open-ended question or a journal entry or we just get, I think as adults, we get out of this space of wonder and magic and faith even. And I was like that little infiltration of of faith and magic back in adults' life. And I loved being that for so long. Uh, That's also part of where the book grew out of was I have these experiences that I've been through and I'm not a certified therapist by any means. I don't want to be, but I do feel like by sharing some of what I've been through, maybe it can help a few people feel like they're less alone in their plight. So midway through my teaching, I would say about five years in, I, I thought it I was at the the height, let's say the peak for like a 27 year old girl. I got to teach at Wanderlust and and it was on the circuit of the bigger festivals that were more Western. And I got diagnosed with Bell's palsy. So my face was completely paralyzed. I just woke up one day and my eye was stuck open. My mouth was stuck open. I couldn't eat or drink anything without holding it shut. And it's actually more common than people know. I think in the with COVID recently, we've heard more about it, but 40,000 people a year get it. It's a infection that they think Western medicine believes it's a viral infection that infects the cranial nerve that comes from your C7 and it inserts right by your temple and the occipital or the, the bone here in the skeleton. 
And then something happens to that nerve where it's just inflamed too big and it's not firing. And so you wake up one day paralyzed and you thought you were healthy at the prime of your health or whatever that vision is I had. And, and I can't move my face. <laughs> so it really had me dive deep into what beauty was, not just from the, the feel of a yoga class or the handstand or the, the smile that I have really big horse teeth, like not even being able to give someone my literal smile, my face didn't work. So it was like this late twenties, uh, deep dive into how I could make people feel my smile without smiling. (laughs) Hmm. And you're gorgeous. So I'm sure like, you know, you've probably gotten a lot of comments about your beauty. And then all of a sudden it's like this feeling of this distortion of what you're used to seeing in the mirror has got to kind of be unsettling as well. And not knowing when, you know, that would be um, remedied. Like how long did you have that for? Everybody's different. Uh, It's, it was really shocking to walk into the emergency room and the doctor just like, he had no bedside manner. He's like, oh, I know what this is. Bell's palsy. The the main determinant between a stroke and Bell's palsy is if you can move your eyebrow or not. And I couldn't, if you can move your eyebrow, apparently it's a stroke, but if you can't, I couldn't. So it was Bell's palsy. He's like, you know, 80% of people eventually get facial function back. It'll take anywhere up to a year. Um, but you, you should be fine. Western medicine doesn't really have much for it. I can put you on some steroids. And he wrote me a script and walked out the door. And I was like, wait a second, I have a 20% chance of not getting my facial function back. Like that's a, that's a huge percentage to someone that just wakes up with a facial paralysis. And for my, like the biggest part is I wear contacts and my eye was stuck open. So you have to tape your eye shut, you know, wear an eye patch or every two minutes, put eye drops in coupled with holding your lips together and looking so vastly different than you were used to. And so those were really shocking moments for me. And over the course of the healing, it took about a month for my eye to start moving. And they said, once there was any sort of movement, that means that you would probably get it all back. So it took about six full months for everything to come back, but it was a a really trying six months. And it was the birth story, the initial story of why the book meant a lot to me, because it was the first real experience where I had to figure out that I'm not just my skin in a way that wasn't about my mom. Like that my smile wasn't always going to be there. And all of us deal with this, with the whole $60 billion a year industry telling us we have to be thinner or stronger or tanner or, or our teeth are whiter or our nails have to be colors or, you know, less wrinkles or whatever it is. Like that's that we're in an industry that's constantly telling us every day that we have to add something or subtract something to be perfect and who we are. And so that was my first real look at combating that feeling literally like i had to just say if i'm stuck this way what what would my life be like if i'm not 20% how can i shift so that beauty is not defined by the outside and so that that's the journey of the book um that's where it starts and it gets crass and it's and it's funny and it's sexual and it's hilarious and there's some tequila shots in there but it's also really deep and talks a lot about the search for why we get to breathe, why we are so lucky to have an inhale and someone else isn't. Mm. Ah, powerful. So the name of your book is called Cheers to Chaos, Eight Tools for the Puffy-Eyed and Powerful. Now, of course, we don't want to give it all away because we want people to go out there and and deep dive. But can you tell us a little bit about um, what are these tools and, and 
I'm imagining they're all from a personal toolbox um, that we all collect from other people or um, that we found that works. But can you tell us a little bit about those tools? Yeah, I often, as a yoga teacher, I'm sure you relate that a lot of people will get a little selfish about their theming or their sequencing or like as if they've really made it up. And in essence, I'm always the opposite of that person. Like I never made up any of these tools, even though I wrote these words, they have been passed down through sages and swamis and, and mentors and people, and even genetically through me, like from my ancestors. So all these tools are just my personal experience of sharing what I think is universal truths. So one of my you know favorites and least favorite is because uh, having the courage to choose faith over fear and, and letting fear be a constant factor in our lives is okay because it's never fully going to go away. It's just changing the relationship with it. And that having to do with the constant practice of surrender. I mean, I'm a, I'm a Jersey girl, a type personality and control is my favorite thing. <laughs> so <laughs> like the idea of surrender and choosing faith over fear, that's a huge facet in anyone's life. And so I take a, a, a universal truth that's important to me. And I, I give you the adage and the story and how it relates. I talk about my mom's death. I talk about um, a partner that I had that was my soulmate of the time and how we transitioned. And I go a lot deeper into COVID and, you know, the real COVID fatigue that even now I'm still kind of facing that it's what it felt like to be so alone in a time that we were all experiencing something so deep together. So I, I, I hope that the eight chapters, it's a pretty quick read. It's only four hours on audible when I re- read it out loud. And I think Amazon predicts you could get through it in three and a half hours, but it's, it's hopefully helping people feel through the adages that they feel less alone in all of their own inner chaos. Mm-hmm. So speaking of COVID fatigue, what is that, what does that look like for you? And what part of that is residually still something that you find yourself battling with? I feel like um, with COVID fatigue, I feel less excited about things in my life that I used to be excited about. And I don't know how it pans out differently in different situations. Obviously, I'm, I feel less social than I used to, and there's good parts and bad parts to that. I also feel a lot less trusting right now. And I'm not saying it's good or bad. It's just how it is for me. I feel a lot less trusting in what is, you know, I I lead an international retreat business. And so that obviously took a really hard hit during COVID. We couldn't travel. So having told all these people and taken lots of money from these people to put deposits down, I got really sick of trusting the universe or whatever it is that these things would pan out because they didn't. And, you know, people, the money is going forward and the trips forward in the future, but it's more like, I think I just got so sick of being the one that kept saying it's going to be okay. And I, I've lost a little bit of that personally. It doesn't mean it's not going to come back and it doesn't mean it's not going to be okay. It's just, that's what it's, that's how it's sitting for me. And I also feel really deeply that my relationships are are deeper because I have less less face value, face time with a lot of people. Like I, I value the deeper ones that I have, but I do, I've lost a little bit of my curiosity and I don't want to blame it on being 35. 
<laughs> but like, I think that there's these transitions that we take and the transition for me now is I've lost some curiosity in the things that used to make me come alive. And I have to figure out again, what's making me come alive. I appreciate that honesty. I think it's a lot of people are feeling this and we're, and you know, it, I think it comes from so much uncertainty and that uncertainty tied to like what you're talking about, trust. Like we, you know, even if people were on a, some kind of gerbil wheel, um, it was familiar. <laughs> it was a familiar gerbil wheel. And then all of a sudden it's not as familiar and your, your, your life is kind of closed in a bit, um, quite literally not being able to go. And then, uh, then I think there's inertia, you know, plain and simple. I find it much more challenging to want to go out and do something to want to go and be around a lot of people. It's, um, and I, and I've talked to people. That's why I was curious about how, and, and a lot of people are feeling that it's like, we miss people. And then all of a sudden we're like, well, we kind of were used to not seeing people. So it's like this whole, it's just, we're, we're on a different sphere. And so probably need to get knocked around a little bit and then get back in a different orbit. Like you said, that will bring in that spark and curiosity maybe there will be more uh, reticence of faith or trust. And, and, and that's part of life is that we do rebound and we might have some, some extra kind of armor on, on or, um, but I, I was curious how it impacted you because I do think it's like very important to talk about. Like a lot of people are just really fatigued and getting through the day and it feels a little bit like Groundhog Day. You know, and it's yeah, like, well, I, I yeah. totally agree. I totally agree. And I also, I feel like that there's seasons for everything. This is just such a unique season to live in that on a global scale, we've all felt the weight and the fatigue. And obviously, you know, in the, I live in a situation where I wasn't hit the hardest by any means globally, but I definitely feel at a lack of, I've never been unmotivated like I am now to seek what excites me. It's, I don't know if it's fear that I'm, I'm working through, if it's like a season of just um, going inward more, but I definitely, you know, all of my journaling and my forward motion and my therapist stuff is really just trying to talk about being more expansive and more curious and, and feeling supported because I think all the ways in which I trusted my life, I used to, I always said to myself, if I, if my business failed, if yoga and these retreats didn't work out, I could always go back to bartending. Well, even that wasn't a thing. (laughs) 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 Everything I felt like I had a somewhat kind of a, I could always do this was just kind of pulled from me. And I was single all of COVID living alone. And so that also just really, really gets to you. (laughs) There's a little bit of that uh, insanity that happens where you're, you're in your head. I've never been more in my head. I think that's mm-hmm. a huge thing too. I've always been an active, a body in motion. Like you said, inertia, like as we're moving, I, I never had so much time to sit. Like I joke that I'm not, I've never dusted my curtains before. And like, I'm, I was in my house dusting my curtains. <laughs> like, <laughs> so I just, I think I'm hoping the world will rebalance for wherever your situation is, whatever fatigue you're experiencing. I'm hoping that we're on the edge now of this. I'm calling it my slow edge. And before I needed the slowdown, I was hosting 12 countries a year. I was going too fast. I know that uh, I was avoiding feeling. So it was good to sit in it. But now I'm hoping that there's a tipping scale somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited to see how that pans out. 
I, I hope that as a collective consciousness, we can start to feel more faith in that. That's what I've started to revert to is just a little bit more trust. I don't, I don't know where I'm headed, but I'm hoping to put a little faith behind it. I bet that going inward was helpful for your writing. Um, had you, it sounds like you've always journaled and that you just kind of put it all together and consolidated it for the book, or did you have to really sit down and spend more time than you had before writing? And what was that experience like having been like on a wheel of motion? It's a different part of the brain for sure. Yeah, I definitely was putting everything that I was hoping to write off. I write a thoughtful Thursday email for my my students and my followers. That's just like, once I've talked my theme out throughout the week on Thursday, I put it into a paper. It's kind of like a blog email, but I have those things. I had those things saved and I wanted to collate them, but really writing a book is not for me about the stories and actually the writing. It's about the compilation and the editing and COVID. I had to stare myself in the face and say, you have nothing else to do right now besides do this. And so there was pieces that I'd been working on for years. And it was just the time for me to say enough is enough, like sit down and do this. And it was, that was a silver lining. I think of COVID for sure that I, I stopped with the excuses there. Um, and it also solidified that final chapter of what I thought felt as chaotic as the other chapters, um, being able to express what that felt like in the first year. I do think that writing has always been an outlet for me, but I, I don't know if I really realized I've always been someone who enjoys offering my thoughts, but I didn't realize how much feedback would come. So like, there's some sexual parts and imagine like my grandmother or my father reading it or like (laughs) deepest thoughts that I have. It's so vulnerable. And then the world reading it, that was soul crushing. (laughs) Yeah. And did you have to just be like, fuck it, putting it out there and, you know, uh, whoever in my family is going to be embarrassed or not, it will just, it'll be one awkward dinner table and then we'll move beyond it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, definitely got there. I, I, the introduction, I throw a lot of that in, in the beginning so that a reader who doesn't know me that they read that first introduction, it's only like nine minutes. Then if they don't like the vulgarity and the cursing and the the sexual nature, then that's fine. Then they, then they'll know that that book's not for them. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that honesty. And I think that's part of just um, humanness. And you're right. Like if that's not your jam, then it won't be the thing that you would read, but I, I can't wait to read it. Um, so I'm curious, what are some things now, even in this feeling of, uh, you know, not trust or feeling a little bit more, um, inert, what are some tools that you have used that have really helped you to either get creative, to get clear, to help you heal from grief or disappointment, a relationship ending. Um, the, again, not to make it cookie cutter because I know that everybody does something different, but I'm just curious what you found to be the thing that usually recalibrates you. I, I do my three G's and this is like, this is just for me every day to make sure that I can recalibrate myself. Like you said, I say and do something that I'm super grateful for. So like, I'll call my little cousins, they're five, four, and two, and just like get my head in that space for at least like a minute or two every day. The big one that has saved me throughout all of my ups and downs so far in my life, all of the ridges is the 
is the second G, which is give back. Um, I have I my I have a five hundred one c three that gives to different demographics to help rediscover their power. But what we specifically have been doing lately is lead free retreats for cancer survivors. And so being around cancer survivors, almost imagining like I'm doing it through my mom um, in her, in her honor, that has really helped me get out of my own head and out of my own way. Cause I think sometimes when we're stuck in a rut, we can't, it's mostly because we can't get out of our own. Like we said in the beginning that the elephant tied the elephant in the circumference. I can't get out of my own circumference and I can't see out of it. So getting into someone else, like giving back for someone else helps my vantage point change a lot. And that really helped me during when I was had Bell's palsy because my facial paralysis was nothing compared to a death sentence because the rest of my body worked. It was just my face. Like I had to get over my own insecurity. And then I'm working with cancer survivors who are bald and have lost eyelashes and eyebrows and boobs and all these things. And they're unrecognizable to themselves and not just physicality, but they're facing something so much deeper. Um, we could all die at any moment, but it's just so much front facing when you're, when you're working with them. And so I just led one in January and that really did help me recalibrate a lot. I feel like little doses of giving back. And then the final component is just growth. Like, can I do one thing a day that makes me proud? And even if it's not something huge, but something that I make the choice that if I accomplish this today, it's going to make me proud. So yesterday was a, a down day for me. So all I said, if you just meal prep, just do some meal prepping, then you'll have a good day. And then all that stress of like, I need to be doing this. And, oh, my business won't survive if I don't do this. And I should be reaching out to that person. And I was like, if you just do that one growth point, if you just meal prep, then it'll be a good day. So I try my best to do that each day. Like today it was the podcast. If you just have a great time on this podcast and give everything you can, then even though I'll get other things done today, like that, I will tell myself I've had a good day. So I try the something that puts me in crazy gratitude, something that helps me give back a little bit. And if you can't do something so large scale as cancer survivors, I'm saying like, reach out to someone that you know would really like, would really, really benefit from hearing from you. Do something outside of yourself. And then focusing on that one growth point has really helped me always recalibrate Hmm. Well, you have done an excellent job on the podcast. So your growth point is, is checked off for today for sure. But I really love that, Katie, because, um, you know, I talked to my daughter who is 19 and a half, almost 20 and in college and, and, you know, is, is high performing, you know, a little high, tightly wound and, you know, sometimes just taking everything away, like you can't say, oh, just relax or this. It, instead of saying like, just, and that's what I said to her this morning. She has an econ final coming up. She's got two. And I said, just, you know, focus on this, give it what you can and then leave it. And whatever happens, fine. Um, my, my, I, I almost posted this. My piece of advice is don't fucking worry about microeconomics. Like, come on, you know, it's like, think of the long term. But the idea is like, yeah, just if, if you are successful at focusing for two hours on econ without, you know, necessarily knowing you're going to crush it, but just that you put the effort in and then leave it and be satisfied with that. Because I think we do, you know, all of us, no matter what age, we can carry a lot in our head and on our shoulders. 
And it's never going to go away. Like there's always more to do. doesn't matter if you're, you know, in high school or you're a stay-at-home mom or you're a mom or dad with business. It, there's always, always going to be more to do, an entrepreneur. And so I think that's a that's a really valuable point because it it can honor the work you do, but not but allow you to to rest and know like there's just going to be more work, okay, and that's fine. But today's growth point is this. So thank you for that. You're welcome. I'm often like considering in myself how am I creating purpose and meaning, and I I think because my mom died so early, I'm constantly like making sure that what I did that day has purpose and meaning just in case I get hit by a bus. Like I, I want to make sure I lived every day as, as vivaciously as I can. And I can relate to your daughter in that wanting to just get more and more done as I get older. Like I'm just, I don't have the capacity anymore, but also I have to honor that creating purpose and meaning doesn't have to be getting all of the things done that I thought I should, but maybe just slowing down and having a more in-depth conversation that day, or like making a small difference in a a reach out text message or purpose and meaning doesn't have to be as big as I used to make it. It can be something a lot smaller too. And I don't think we're always going to be able to be happy. I'm I'm not happy most days. Like even though that's the irony of KDB happy is I think every other day or every third day, I have a pretty low day, but that lowness is still in the quest of purpose and meaning rather than seeking to be happy. Like I want to make something each of, of each of the days that I have. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Well, thank you for turning that very, you know, um, tragic loss early on to something that is benefiting others, you know, through your recognition that life is precious and we fill our own cups when we are giving uh, in service. And, and like you said, it doesn't have to be large. It should be meaningful. Like yours is super meaningful, obviously, but you know, it could be that you go and say hi to a, to a neighbor that you just don't know. Like maybe they're got the COVID fatigue and you just coming by might be like something that brightens their day. And those are, you know, there's could be nothing more generous than our time. And I think that's what sometimes is overlooked. Just listening to somebody for 10 minutes, uh, you know, just pure listening and offering your time in in so many ways is one of the most generous things we can do. And so I think whatever it is, yeah, give it up for this greater good because you're right. You're going to fill up your own your own cup and recalibrate. So where can people find out more about you, Katie Be Happy? Um, on Instagram and all the social channels, Katie Be Happy. My company is Be Inspired. We do self-development retreats around the world. And I have an app that if you wanted to ease back into exercise, whether it's meditation, 15 minute stretches, uh, any sort of power yoga or yin yoga, and then also some hit workouts. There's over 700 videos and it takes you through like a program. It's 10 bucks a month. Um, that amazing. was a amazing. Blessing out of COVID. Yeah. And then if you want to do any retreats with me around the world, I'm going to Italy and South Africa and Mexico and Thailand. So that's on beinspired.life. So you lead the retreats as well as like manage all of the elements of it. So can you talk a little bit about that before we sign off? Yeah, it's what it puts all of my strong suits together. Mm -hmm. It's the, you know, camp counselor in me that loves to organize that A-type. And then 
I lead the workshops and I'll always have like a guest trainer on each one. That's a little bit different, but there'll be a self-development workshop of some sort for an hour each morning, um, journal exercises, eye stare exercises, meditation exercises, and then we'll go into a movement practice. So there'll be some sort of yoga and then an optional fitness hit to whatever feels good, especially depending on the trainer. Sometimes there's like a boxer and sometimes there's a dance teacher. Um, and it's an all-inclusive trip for adults. So I would say 18 and up, but it's definitely um, introspective for people who want to meet people and also want a nicer trip. You know, the price point is anywhere from 2,700 to about 6,000, depending on like the lap of luxury you'd like. So it's, it's a higher price point, but it's all-inclusive. So massages and all the fun alcohol at night, if you want it, uh, the private chef, it's just an experience for you to get out of your own space, that same circumference we've been talking about, like get a, a kickstart, a regenerate. And it's also a great way to get out of COVID fatigue. Pre-COVID, it was a great way to get out of your life. And now it's a way to see life a little bit differently in a safe and fun and healthy way. So when are you leading the first retreat post like our, you know, the lockdown and all that? Well, I, I led Greece and Italy in September. Mm -hmm. and uh, Saluli to Mexico over New Year's. And so coming up now, we'll do uh, Mexico in July, Sardinia, Italy in September, and then South Africa's New Year's of, of this year. So 2022 into 2023. Amazing. Amazing. Yes. Everybody's probably so eager to get on a trip and what, um, you know, going on a retreat is like the most amazing thing because you get it all, you know, and having it all in inclusive is amazing. So yeah, check out all of the stuff that you have and that's all in the be inspired, um, life as well.com. Yep. Yep. Be inspired life. It's all there. And even tracking into 2023, if you're more of a planner and want to spread it out, but it's a just nice way to take the tools and techniques that I talked about in the book and you just take them to a whole different level because you can learn to apply them a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Uh, well, thank you so much. It was such a joy to, um, talk to you today and, Thank you for sharing yourself so openly and loving that New Jersey girl. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. All right. And as always, for everyone listening, I'm pulling for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.